Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast, Match Fix, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Welcome to Match Fix, a brand new Silk production podcast bringing you everything you want to know about the women's grassroots game. Episode four of Match Fixed is here and it's still Women's History Month. And whilst it's been a rather divisive one away from the pitch, I continue to see lots of positivity in the women's football world. I think it's time to accept that all of my part ones will be kept short and sweet because the calibre of my guests remains so high. This episode's guest is candid and full of honesty. We are another week closer to the return of football and just like last week, I suspect many of you are still yet to learn the fate of your league. Perhaps not if you're one of the 292 teams playing in tier 3-6 to who sadly had their season curtailed this week, however. I've seen some considerable frustration across the board for teams, managers and players the like, whilst others have commended the decision and are ready to start preparations for next season. If you've been affected by this, please get in touch. I'd love to know what you think. I mentioned the excitement of the FA Cup return last week too, but for many it's left a bit of a bitter taste after the null and void announcement as grassroots clubs are expected to prop up the elite clubs that enter in the fourth round. On a more positive note, however, you may recall that I spoke to Craig at Ramsey and Missley in episode one about many topics, including the future of the club. And it's so exciting to see that this week they've launched their Wildcat Centre initiative. Meanwhile, Upton Park Ladies from episode two is an account to definitely keep an eye on this week as they rebrand the club. They revealed their beautiful new crest yesterday and there is so much more to come from what I understand. Enough from me and keep listening for an insightful part two. Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Welcome to part two of episode four of Match Fix. And joining me today is Charlotte Ferguson, goalkeeper at Boromir Thistle. Welcome, Charlotte, to Match Fix. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for the invitation. Not at all, not at all. So, um, how are you? How's things? How is lockdown treating you? Um, what's keeping you busy? I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, uh, I actually uh, started, uh, so when lockdown first hit in March, I was a PT at my local Nuffield down in London. Um, and I actually finished my physio degree uh, previously the summer before, and I was just kind of milling about. And then I thought, you know what, I'm kind of wasted on furlough. Yeah. So I thought I'd go and work. One of my friends was a, a senior physio in a London hospital. So I was working in ITU for a little bit with them. And then I actually got a permanent position. So I moved up back to Edinburgh because I did my first undergrad here. Mm-hmm. Um, I always said to myself, like, I wanted to come back. And I'm now full-time physio on the NHS here um, and uh, in my spare time I haven't really been doing much uh, I was lucky enough to buy and purchase a little bit of gym equipment so I bought like an Olympic bar and a few bits I've got a row machine in my front room um, which has kind of kept me busy um, and I've been doing a few things like uh, last month I decided to run 200 kilometers in a month nice as you do <laughs> yeah you do um, just uh, to really keep me busy so <laughs> if it hasn't been work I've been training and if I've not been training I've been doing other things golf's been pretty good so up here we've been able to play when the weather's been all right and then um just about now it's coming through weather like bike riding weather so i'm keen on a, a road cyclist as well so 
I've had enough things, but obviously love to be able to like go out for a little steak and see like friends and be able to like host people at my flat. Like I was under the impression I get to see people and it just hasn't really happened. So hopefully brighter times ahead. Yeah, fingers crossed. Love that. So you've kept yourself pretty busy then in that case. I love that. Yeah, I'm one of these people. I can't really sit still. So I prefer <laughs> to like be doing things and, and kept up and kept busy. So I've tried to kind of like um, utilise my time and just, um, you know, you can still see people outside. So I've kind of been seeing people outside and doing things that just make the time go quicker so yeah fair yeah i just need to kind of prerequisite that that charlotte is based in scotland right now so obviously things are a little bit different kind of where you are um but yeah cool love that okay so let's kick off with football then um <laughs> tell me a little bit about you and kind of go back to kind of young charlotte kind of oh cool, so as... where it all started <laughs> yeah exactly Actually, i probably had my brother to thank where it all started um he used to play when he was younger and he got me out in the garden and we'd play and like he'd always beat me and I'd always hate it. And I was a little bit of a, and I still am, I'm a bit of a chubby kid. So I was never like a massive runner. Um, but yeah, we used to play, used to enjoy it. And then um, I went down, uh, one of my friends kind of at school um, was playing for Crystal Palace. So I spent my youth at Palace. So I went down when I was about nine and I was at Palace until I was about 16 um, and spent all my youth there, which was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then, um, when I got to about 16, I also played the trumpet and I was pretty, um, pretty high standard. So I was in like the National Youth Wind Orchestra and stuff. So wow. it got quite busy trying to balance everything. So I kind of took a step back from football for a little bit when I was kind of 16 to 18 through A-levels. Um, and I just played for like a local side. Um, so Bromley, Bromleyans, um, who are kind of formally called Bromleyans. Um, and then I kind of went to uni and then I decided, oh, you know what? Like football's my thing. So I'm going to try and step it up again. And I, I was just so sorry. I should probably mention as well. Um, I didn't necessarily play in goal when I first went to Palace. Right. Okay, yeah. When I was about kind of 10 or 11, that I decided that that's probably where my, my talents lied, as it were. <laughs> um, and all the kind of parents were like, oh, you should stay in goal. You shouldn't come out on pitch. Like we think you're better in goal. And so um, we were quite successful as you team which is quite nice um and then um it kind of got to a point where 16 to 18 I kind of stopped going and goal and I was like now nah, I'll, I'll try my dab hand at like playing center center midfield like one of those holding players you know mm-hmm. avoiding but able to pick someone out and um I was just like you know what that's not really where my talents lie I went back to uni and when I went to uni so I came up to Edinburgh yeah I was like I've got a really playing goal um spent a lot of my time um kind of playing in goal here um and I was uh so I played every single fixture for the first 11 during my four years here um nice. and then I was uh subsequently like president of the football club dabbled in a little bit of like club football for a few different teams uh, only really in like third and fourth year but was mainly at Spartans playing for their effectively second team but I got to train with the first team so actually um I trained with one of my best friends at the moment so Rachel Harrison who's one of the Scottish women's national team goalkeepers um one kind of pretty much my best friend here uh, who actually subsequently lives five minutes around the corner from me which is nice as well should have got you Um, both on (laughs) i know got to spend a lot of time with her which was great um and um uh, kind of like missed that um now because i don't really train with her so that was like quite quite a nice moment um and then um i came back down to london started playing for palace again um and actually it was a bit bit of a sad story and i needed some spinal surgery and mm. um, so I had quite a big spinal uh, surgery around uh, 20 what was it 2015 must have been 2015 and mm. at that time I'd come back to Palace and I was like wasn't really sure had some spinal surgery spent a lot of money myself coming back from it because you all know that like people don't really have time for like rehab uh, and during that time kind of 2015 women's football was still up and coming but there wasn't that much funding in it so yeah. had to rehab it all myself so spent in the region of, oh, I can't remember, we did tot it up, but it was a substantial amount of money getting yeah. me back. 
and I just never really felt like I earned my place when I came back it was like it was actually quite a dark time like I went through quite a lot and I didn't actually think I'd ever play football again so obviously that because it was like a spinal thing yeah that was one of the risks so I was like oh I might not ever play football again um came back and I actually probably was like the fittest I've ever been I was the lightest because I wasn't lifting weights and obviously that's like one of my loves that maybe kind of gets in the way but wasn't lifting any weight and I kind of wasn't really eating either because I was just in a in a place of kind of just like I can't do anything I love yeah um probably came back but just never really felt like I had a place back there so that's when I went to Whiteleaf just along the road so took a step back um and kind of level and really started to enjoy my football and all credit to like Charlie who was the manager then and Harry who's the manager then because they kind of taught me to love football and then I also probably have to mention that I got a chance to train the men's team a lot mm. which is really beneficial as well because obviously they were like a step up and even like standing in goal for, for like them and during training was just like really good to just to kind of make me enjoy it again and like give me something to aspire to um, and then subsequently we had a quite a short season so we were playing like Premier Greater, Greater London League yeah uh, and we had quite a short season so we finished about March and then um, in the Southeast Prem AFC Wimbledon still had a few games to play and they didn't have a keeper so it just so happened that I ended up going to AFC for like the last little bit of the season effectively on loan yeah um, and like really enjoyed it and then it just got to a point where I was like oh, I've really enjoyed it and it's a level above and like it, it was heartbreaking because I had one like white leaf player of the seat like manager's player of the season because yeah. I had like white leaf and it was heartbreaking just to say to Charlie look I think I've got to take the step up and I think like I'd like to think now and I'm sure he does it's just like you know he got me back to a place where I was enjoying my football and so I'm yeah. forever, forever and I'd like to think that he looks at it as on a positive note rather than like a sour note that I left him it's more just obviously I went to like a league above so that was probably one of the hardest conversations I've ever had in my life because <laughs> Whiteleaf was like such a, a great like time and it, it really got me like loving football again. Yeah. Um, and so I'm forever thankful, like I say. Um, and then I went to AFC Wimbledon um, and then I stayed at AFC Wimbledon um, over the next season. Um, and during that time, I actually spent uh, a little bit of time in Northern Ireland playing for Cyan Swifts. That wasn't a great experience either for a number of reasons, which actually... I would we'll talk about and I can go into but I I just yeah I, it was difficult and I don't regret it and it made me a good like a bigger person and it probably improved my football but mm. probably for like negative and the wrong reasons right um so I actually pretty much cost them a Champions League position from a mistake that I made um I went over we didn't really train because it was really difficult um and I went over and I was a bit too and froing from kind of finishing my degree and going to Northern Ireland mm. and um I just made like one mistake in a really big game um and it's something that I've probably never ever done in my life and I probably never ever will do ever again <laughs> yeah um, obviously as a goalkeeper one mistake can cost a lot so it did cost a lot and you know I I'm so thankful for the opportunity and I got to experience like a different country and things like that but it was a bit of a sour note and I also didn't mention that I ended up in Iceland mm. um played for UMF Tinderstall which actually to their Ben, to their credit, they just got promoted to the Pepsi League, which is always a vision of theirs. So yeah, well amazing. done them and everybody involved with them. I think the, the setup's kind of different. Uh, but that was kind of what um, made me have spinal surgery in the first place. So I was out there in the summer um, and then I broke down. I was doing a deadlift in the gym and it was like an easy weight. And I just, I then caught myself and I couldn't move. And then my mum had to come and get me from Iceland, take me mm. home and the, get an injection in my back, which didn't work. Then I ended up having spinal surgery. So I've actually had a really good experience, like worldwide, kind of, you know, not worldwide, but kind of in Europe and things. And um, and then I ended up saying to myself, you know, I'm at AFC Wimbledon, coronavirus hit, and I loved being at AFC, but I was just like, you know what, I've got to take this opportunity mm. and come back up and work. And unfortunately, you know, football doesn't pay bills. And 
I won't go too much into the finances, but I was on a little bit of AFC, just a, a cheeky Nando's a week, is what I call <laughs> And up here, I've got a pay to play, and I play an SWPL2. Um, and I was going to kind of see, the plan was to kind of see where I go from here. I've had a fairly, what I feel is like a fairly successful season so far. Um, and the plan was to kind of see where I go. But um, I don't know if coronavirus is kind of going to end up impacting things a little bit. Mm. So, but that's where I am now. So I'm now at Muir, enjoying it. Um, and yeah, seeing what the world will, will, will give to me over the next little while. Nice, love that little whistle-stop tour of kind of Charlotte's tour to Europe, I guess we could call yeah. that. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I'm going to kind of... Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more Palace then. Um, mm-hmm. So you yeah. mentioned that that's kind of like where you started, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I don't know. Just tell us about your time there, really. Yeah, so I started at youth. Um, I we like I said, we were a really kind of successful youth team. So we'd won quite a lot of the the league. So we were kind of under. So I started really under tens, all the way through to about under twelves, under thirteens. And then I don't know how much you know about kind of London football, Long Long Lane, which were a club. So at that time, you, you could play centre of excellence football on a Saturday mm. and Sunday football. And a lot of the girls for like Long Lane were playing centre of excellence and kind of Sunday league football and yeah. I like I mentioned before I played the trumpet so I could never play CB football on a Saturday mm. I just played on a Sunday so it got to a point where we were kind of in battles between Long Lane and like Long Lane would win some and not win others and they had two junior teams and we'd always beat one of them mm. and not the other and they'd always walk away with the trophies and it was always like a little bit of a revelation if we beat them so they were kind of our rivals yeah um But um, over a period of time, that kind of happened. And then it got to 16 and I actually was in the senior setup. So I got bought at 15 pretty much into the senior setup. So at 16, I was training with the senior team. But I don't know whether it was me at the time. I just felt like I was like, whoa, really out of my depth. Like I wasn't really ready. I think at that time, um, I mean, I'm not going to mention people involved. I don't think that's fair. But at that time, I think there was quite a lot of impetus on like where the club was going and not enough of like, you know, as a 16-year-old, you don't really get that looked after. I think it's a lot better now. And I think especially at the club that I'm at, um, so at Borough Muir, I think a lot of the youngers are are, like looked after a little better. Um, But I think that I didn't really push it and I didn't really know because none of my family were necessarily footballers and things like that. So yeah. I kind of didn't really know what was going on, felt a bit out of my depth and was just like, got to, I think, kind of towards the end of the season or I might, might have finished one season. Yeah, I think I finished one season and then was just like, you know what, I'm out. I don't know, you know, I can't do it. So um, that was kind of a bit difficult because obviously it was my childhood club. It was like, you know, it was tough to leave. And then I went and, and played for Bromley Inns for a season and then I chose to go to uni. Um, and then I did, uh, you know, think about one. So I, I spent four years at uni and mm. I came back I did think about, you know, can I really go back? Probably not. Um, so I spent a little while training with Charlton and I just, it was just something I just didn't, I was like, you know what? I think I've got to go back to Palace. <laughs> and then uh, I was kind of training with Palace and, and Charlton and then I had a chat with the goalkeeper coach and chat with um, the, the kind of um, manager at the time who actually was around when I was around previously. So it was quite nice, a bit of carryover. Um, but I'm always one of these people, like, I'm a good player to have around, but not necessarily ever going to be, like, the best of the best. Yeah. So um, I think I just uh, kind of knew, and obviously Palace had kind of stepped up and they 
been kind of in the regional prem, then they they've come to the national prem and they were kind of pushing for that kind of championship level. So yeah. I'm kind of thinking, you know what, I'm never ever going to play championship football. Like uh, I had a few opportunities first team football, and I never maybe quite got to show what I was capable of. And then I don't think I ever persuaded myself that I was ever good enough. And then I think just nothing quite aligned, and I was always kind of that player that. You know, I'd always be the first to training, always be the last one to leave. I'd mm. always do stuff. I'd always be around to like do anything, but I never quite made the cut. And I always was like sitting on the bench and things like that. And I'd always be that person. I was always very reliable, but never quite made it to a point. And I'm not really like envious of that. I'm not really like, obviously I would have loved to made it and I would have loved to play football. Uh, you know, I'd love to be playing in, in, in kind of the, the championship and stuff, but yeah. I'm not really like envious I just think it's it, you know it just shows you that like you can be that player and you can you can work hard and you can turn up and you can always be like the first one to be there and the last one to leave but you know if it doesn't quite work for you like it's it's sometimes quite difficult yeah. and so it just got to a point where I never really felt like when I came back I fitted in if that made sense and like it was difficult because obviously it was my childhood club and I was like you know what like I'm never going to play first team football and at that kind of club you're just taking up a spot for someone that could come in and play first team football, if that makes sense. So, mm. and I think that the managers weren't necessarily going to turn around to me and say, you know, you, you're not really, you know, you're not really going to make it. You're not really going to make the cup. But at the same time, like, I think I just had to be honest with myself. I wasn't enjoying it. Like I was putting in loads of work. There was a bit of like, a, I had a bit of an altercation with everybody because I, I like lifting weights and I spend a lot of my time in the gym and working hard. Yeah. And, you know, there was this kind of feeling that I, I worked too hard sometimes, which was really difficult because obviously it was just my passion trying to kind of come through yeah. and need as much as I can to put myself in a good position. Um, so that was kind of difficult. And it was at that point that kind of after I'd gone through spinal surgery, I'd come through the recovery and actually I was back playing football within three months, which is something quite remarkable. Yeah, no, absolutely. That I had... Um, so I probably got to thank all my rehab team for that. So there's one video in particular, um, TJ Sally. So I'll mention him, um, but he is like, he's honestly, he's been so pivotal in like pretty much who I am now, really. Mm. Um, but pretty much got me back playing. Um, and he, he's a previous, so he was at Tottenham um, and he runs his own, he had his own London clinic at a point. He's now working in an orthopedic hospital in London, but he was kind of pivotal and he kind of was the person driving everything and, and keeping me going really and I think I didn't have much backing from the club and you know I look back and it's not really their fault necessarily and I don't yeah. blame them but I think it was just a bit maybe potentially like a bit of resentment it's like I tried really hard to get myself back as soon as possible kind of really was at a low point and I didn't really feel as supported as I could have been but then I also could argue that I didn't really go forward and explain that if that makes sense so I think yeah. Hindsight is a wonderful thing and I do a lot differently, but I think it just got to a point where I was like, I need to take a step away from there and go and kind of do it football somewhere else just to kind of enjoy it. And that, that meant kind of dropping a level, but that was fine. I think that also the difficulty was that at that point I was doing a lot of hard work. So I worked for Palace Foundation. Yeah. And I was doing a lot of hard work for them. So I was kind of doing a little bit on the college programme as a physio. I was doing a lot of coaching for them. I was coaching maybe three or four times a week for them and things like that. So I think it was really hard to take that step as, as well because I kind of envisaged my role kind of being able to bring the two sides closer together a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I think stepping away from that also was really difficult. But I think in hindsight, it was the best decision that I made. 
so I'm not resentful for it. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of encompassed your whole life in kind of so many different ways by the sounds of it. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. Um, so you kind of, yeah, you, so did you take that step away and that's when you went to uni or did you come back from uni? And then that's no, so when I you... came back from uni, came back to Palace, spent, I think it was like a two seasons there and then just decided after that I needed to go to Whiteleaf just to kind of take that step back and in, in, in enjoy it a little bit more and, yeah. and just my love for football because I was just like working so hard and I just I didn't feel like I was necessarily where I wanted to be and for the amount of work that I was you know I and that was the kind of real realization where I just decided you know what I'm never ever going to play championship football um so I shouldn't really be at a club where that's a viable option because I'm just taking up space for youth that are coming through you know if you look at it now like the, the practice hour so I trained what like if I was lucky twice a week yeah when I was younger you look at youth now like they they have opportunities to train four or five times a week so you look at skill acquisition like I'm a, obviously sports science and, and physiotherapist yeah so you look at skill acquisition research like practice makes permanent so they've had so much practice time compared to time that we've spent that you know it, it's almost like you have to kind of wash your hands and just say you know what there is a point where 16, 17 year olds are going to be, you know, technically good, if not better, because yeah. they've had that practice time. And they've had that time to kind of cement things that we never got. And I think it's in women's football, it's really starting to show because you've got like the clubs, but you've also got like the private companies that, you know, girls are going to train with on top of their clubs and things like that. And they're just getting that extra time to, to cement things. Um, and I think, you know, it, Yes, there is an argument that experience counts for a lot, and I am very experienced in 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 a number of ways. But I think also there is that like you're starting to see breakthrough of younger players just because they're having that more experience of practice and and things like that. Yeah, absolutely, that's really interesting. And actually, I kind of touched on that a little bit with my um in my previous episode actually with when I was talking to Carol um Bates from um Crawley Old Girls. So she kind of she talked about how she was kind of like so she's in her in her fifties now and she was like the generation that was missed essentially. She was kind of she did everything in and around kind of football as she grew up and stuff like that, but she just never actually got that chance to really kick a ball. And so mm -hmm. it's interesting that kind of the kind of neck I guess that makes you and I probably the next generation after that where it's kind of yeah. we sort of are teetered on the edge of kind of oh there was opportunities but maybe less so and then kind of it's now in the next stage essentially where kind of actually there's all these opportunities coming about so yeah it's just a kind of interesting transition to see yeah definitely and I think like there's other things like um quite there's been quite a big push obviously um in terms of the uh the WSL um people having so I think one of the criteria is that you have to have a a 16 plus program associated with the club so I think there's been quite a big push for that and things like that I think have been a huge um kind of asset to people that really want to pursue football because obviously they get to do a little do a qualification but they also get to train yeah. kind of Day, every day of the week which is something that I never really had the opportunity to do but I think it's because like I don't know personally as well I'm a bit of, of a jack of all trades I could never really decide what I wanted to do so I think I've taken that into my life thus far like obviously I, when I introduced myself I kind of said you know I like cycling I like weightlifting I like playing football so yeah. you know, football isn't my sole one love and I think you know it is my biggest love but it's not everything that I ever stand for and I think one of the biggest things is like I'm a physio and I'm a sports scientist like you've seen people you know you could have one injury and you can be you can be taken out and it's like you've got to have other things that you're passionate about it can't yeah. just kind of take up your whole life so I think I've always stood by that as my, my thing you know yeah. I've got things that I want to pursue and things and you can't play football forever either like you know there's a limited shelf life so 
I, you know, I'd like to think, I, I hope at 50, I'll probably still be on a bike, whereas <laughs> <laughs> probably not standing between the goal with gloves on. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I think that's interesting. That's quite a kind of poignant thing about the women's game as well, is that um, kind of, well, if you look to the men's game, for example, you kind of, like you, you're still playing kind of in your mid thirties, and it's kind of it's getting older even more so now, just where kind of sports has improved and stuff. And then a lot of people they kind of they go into punditry or they go into commentary and stuff like that. Whereas there's not so much of that opportunity for women, so that's why you still see in things like the WSL, like so. I mean, I think Erin Cuthbert, she's just finished her degree, hasn't she? For example, and like Beth yeah. England, she's just finished her law degree and stuff like that. And in fact, yeah. yesterday I think they introduced kind of education program kind of funding, so you kind of there's still that kind of thing to consider in the women's game as well the fact that like you say kind of probably not going to be kicking a football so the idea that you can have other things is like important but I guess I don't know if do you feel like there should be kind of the chance to kind of go into those kind of positions or are you actually kind of like no I'm actually kind of I'm quite happy that idea that I'll be cycling when I'm 50 for example listen like I want to play football for as long as I can and I think that's you know I, I will and I'm one of these stubborn people like I probably won't give up until someone that, that I'm close to tells me like okay I think it's time to stop like <laughs> you need to st-. so that'll be me but I think that these kind of educational opportunities are really important purely because like I've seen it happen like I've seen people you know one tackle I know one of the girls that I played has done her ACL three times Ouch. and and so like you're not really coming back from that and I think people sometimes don't have a fallback plan and I also think like I mean I could talk about this topic for hours because I'm quite <laughs> passionate about it, but I also think that women aren't getting like the same opportunity as the men's in terms of like we still have to really work like I know in the WSL it's changing which is great but like if you think about the level I'm playing like I'm playing SWPL2 most if not all of my team in fact all of my team are not athletes like we we work a full day and we go and we train at night you know you're packed with crappy training times like I so we were training what half past eight till ten o'clock most of kind of before Christmas yeah. at which point like I'm in the gym at half past six in the morning so I've done a massive day and then I then have to come and train I then have to go to work tomorrow and like it's just really unideal and I, I feel like it's not fair that like men almost get like slightly different opportunities than we do Mm. but I hope that things are going to like swing and change and I hope that there's more of this educational kind of sidekick and I think that people going into punditry like I think all the all the women really make do a good job and they do like great work I like I I, I know like I was like listening to Karen Carney last night she's so knowledgeable about things like Alex Scott came like Alex Scott's become more about about face like you know her advert that she does about mental health stuff yeah like great I think like it's really good that we have people in kind of those positions um because I think like, it's really good for women's football and I'd like to almost see more like I don't think people get enough credit for what they do yeah. outside football so like it's almost like it's underrated that people even in the WSL have like part-time jobs that they do like I know some of the Palace girls do a lot around like mental health and um I know they're kind of striving to kind of do more and I think as it comes uh, kind of as it starts to kind of increase I think you are going to see more people come out but I think until then I I think it's just still like really underrepresented which is a shame because I think the representation will drive the push for like more financial backing yeah so at the moment you've got a bit of a cyclical thing where the WSL isn't funded enough because you haven't got enough backing because people don't want to invest in it but the reason people want to invest don't want to invest in it because they don't think it's a viable option but there's no viable option because there's not enough like behind it, if that makes sense. So yeah. until someone drives it, you're never really going to get to a position where it's going to be 
a massive success. Like, I think it really is starting to become better, but I think we're still far behind where the men are. Yeah, and I just, no. I'd really like to see it in my lifetime come up to, like, an even playing field. And I know the biggest argument for that is, like, well men's football is men's football and women's football is women's football. But my biggest argument is, yes, that's correct. Physiologically, we're different. Yeah. And we know we're different. We know we, we're not strong. We know we don't run as fast. We know we can't last, you know, there's loads of evidence that actually we can't last 90 minutes in the way that men do because of all of that. So it's never going to be the same game of football. So why are we trying to compare it? Yeah, no, absolutely agree, 100%. I just like we should never be trying to compare it to 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 men's. It should just be its it, its own entity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's why at the moment there's still this kind of comparison. There's still this drive. Yeah, but I'd rather watch men's football than women's football because it's so much quicker. It's so much faster. It's like, do you know what? Like, it is going to be that case. And the main reason why that's the case as well is because they get to spend six hours a day, eight hours a day training. We don't. We've got to work a full day. We've got to go and train twice a week, let alone how much ball contact they're getting. And then by Sunday, I don't know about anybody else, by Friday night, like tonight, I'd probably be nearly in bed by now. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm done. And then you're asking me to perform on a Sunday, which is fine because obviously I, you know, I have to hold a Saturday to recover. I do what I like, might play golf, whatever. Um, but you're asking us to perform on a Saturday and then go and work full time and then do it all again. Like I've got teachers in, at my club especially who get up at half past six and literally work until 11 o'clock at night at the moment, especially because of coronavirus and things. And it's mm. just like, you can't expect, it's like, I get so frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, honestly, like, preaching to like, the choir honestly, here 100%. I, I get so frustrated when people are like, yeah, but like the men's game so much better. It's like, yeah, but because they have the financial backing, they have the facilities, they have everything. And until women's football gets to come on a level like that, I feel like it's unfair to make a comparison between the two. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. 100%. Mm. Interesting point indeed, definitely. Okay, um, we kind of segued there slightly, but I like, I'm like i here for it. No, not at all, not at all. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we are a grassroots show here at Matchfix, so I guess Whiteleaf is probably your most grassroots football that you've been, like, football club that you've been at, Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'd say, to be honest, I'd say Whiteleaf is, but I'd also say that, I mean, as much as, and I obviously don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I think like just the way that the Scottish setup is run, SWPL1 is, is really well funded, but in SWPL2, technically, although we are classed as like semi-pro, like, I still have to pay to play. Yeah. And for me, that's a big thing, um, kind of negating between like a grassroots and a and a kind of pro setup. It's like, like I was saying to you, at Wimbledon, I was on, you know, the effective of a, a cheeky Nando's a week. So, you know, it was nice that our petrol was paid for going to and from, and we might have got a little bit added. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, now it's like, it's, it's that kind of, oh, I really have to pay like 20 pounds just to kind of turn up and perform. And like, to be honest, I'm the worst person. Like, I don't, don't even think I've got a direct debit set up. And I think that <laughs> our, our, the, the woman that's in charge of it literally has to text me every time like uh you you need to pay your money charlotte and i'm just i'm just not used to it um so i think yeah whiteleaf has been like the the biggest grassroots that i've i've paid for in terms of that but i think still i don't think it's fair to say that the others are technically like professional i think yeah. really especially like even the southeast prem playing for afc like it really is kind of still a grassroots setup and yeah. it's not the want of people not wanting it not to be it's just the way that everything's still working yeah no absolutely no um i think as well so like 
um in fact somebody posed a question to me the other day about oh. um like do is there enough elite clubs for example and my kind of thinking behind it was actually do we do we really need more elite clubs than we have right now so like obviously we've got the whole of the WSL kind of probably half or half and half of the championship mm. i just think at this point we don't like the pressure for there to be more elite clubs is not a, some, something that we need in the women's game right now. And actually, it's more important that we kind of start at the bottom, kind of youth level, and kind of build up from there. Or, well, I don't know, build up from there or kind of trickle down from it. I, I don't know which which mm. one is it. But yeah, I just think that's far more important that we kind of continue to kind of build kind of pathways and stuff like that for kind of youth football and things like that, rather than thinking, yeah, we need more professional clubs. Because like you say as well, kind of there isn't the money really there. There's not the revenue. And because it's in that kind of cyclical thing still, there's there's not the opportunity for kind of those elite positions before. Yeah. I don't know. What I do think, you think about it? Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's really, I, I do think it all stems from like a grassroots opportunity. And I think people do need to like understand that they have opportunity. And I think that's what it's done nice or, or well here in Scotland yeah. there's a lot of like grassroots opportunity I feel like there's a bit more kind of like openness and out there and a lot of kind of ways to try and I think as well I think the pathway between so when I was younger the pathway between like school and club opportunity wasn't that good whereas now I think now that you've got more kind of external people coming in um so PE often uh, it's kind of broadly similar up here but P is often outsourced so if you think about like palace as an example the community will, would go in and take pe so it'd be outsourced and mm. um, so i think people and, and younger people are starting to get the opportunities but also it's about like feeling feeling kind of like you have an opportunity to go and do things and i know a few clubs kind of offer specific age groups so it might be like under 10s under 12s and so i think a lot of people also are missed or can be missed in in the kind of system and it's those people that I think need an opportunity as well and like I feel like if you live in in an area like London because it's so densely populated you've got a big pool of clubs and a big big opportunity Mm. if you live in places that aren't so well populated you know you might have to travel 45 minutes an hour for, for a local women's team whereas in the in the in the boys game you know, you don't have to travel more than 10 minutes and you'll have a team on your doorstep. And I think that's the biggest barrier at the moment as well. It's just having that opportunity where you don't necessarily have to travel. You don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time investing in it. You can kind of start, like you say, from the bottom. And I think it's also difficult when... I feel like people are just put off. I feel like sometimes girls especially are just put off, like... You know, there's still bad press associated with it. There's still things that, that you know, we we kind of a faux pas that you don't really want to talk about. There's still that kind of stereotype around, you know, the type of people that play football, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think people are just put off. And then, you know, it starts to get to an age where it's like, oh, do I want to learn how to put makeup on properly and go out and party and, you know, spend time with my friends or do I want to play football? And it starts to get to a serious point and a lot of people are just like, oh, I'm not ready for this and things like that. So I think there is a lot in the mix, but I think that a lot could be said but for just providing like opportunities that aren't so kind of pressured and aren't so kind of, oh, you need to come into a centre of excellence, you need to like go and 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 like loads of pressure for girls to perform and just have an opportunity to kind of express themselves through football and like almost like open sessions and opportunities where they can come and try it dip in and out and it's not so much of a kind of issue i don't see like many of those opportunities compared to kind of tough 
oh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I do think this is where Scotland has 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 a kind of win over uh, England at the moment. And again, you can argue because we're so, you know, we're we're underpopulated compared to England, so we have a far less big population. SWF do do a lot of kind of funding around, you know, junior football, youth football. Borough Muir, for example, has got it's pretty much the biggest women's football club in in Edinburgh um, and has a really good youth setup, really good youth section um, and really good opportunities. But I'd like to think that they're all equal, but I, I know that they're not, if if it makes if it, if that makes sense. But I think it's going to take a lot to drive change. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's one thing I've, well, I think I've spoken to everybody I've spoken to so far on this podcast about, but in particular, so Craig from Ramsey and Misty Ladies in the first episode, he mentioned how you can kind of throw a stone and there's a boys team, whereas where he's based, one thing that he's really driving for is getting the club a Wildcat Centre because there's like the next girls team is like 30 miles away or something and they're based in Essex. So it's not like they're in the middle of nowhere, but yeah, yeah there's definitely kind of hopefully that kind of shift towards those kind of girls teams um sorry i just got one one point as well um so i was fortunate enough to go over um so i played for the county and i was fortunate to go on a tour of america and if you think about americans um they what they do really well is they have girls in, in in boys teams until under 14 and i'm actually a massive fan i know this sounds like maybe counterintuitive to what i've said but I'm actually a massive fan for that because I feel like because the boys and, and kind of at that age up to kind of under 14, you know, you start to get to about 11 or so and you change kind of your focus. You come to your nine aside, 11 aside football. And I'm actually a massive fan. And you look at some of the most successful football. So Kim Little started in a boys team. You look at some of the most successful footballers in, in, in the WSL and they'll actually say, you know what, I started in a boys team, which I think is really interesting mm. because we know that kind of at that youth level, um, I mean, First, um, I'll tell you a funny story. So, first, first um, eleven aside game I ever played. We played a we played a boys team, um, and I actually played. Um, it was actually quite a lot of the boys from my school, so it was a bit embarrassing because I was like, oh, it's like all the boys from my school. Don't worry, I played in goal. We lost sixteen <laughs> nil. I, I did. I played, you know, fairly well. Everyone was like, oh, "You did really well, Charlotte," and I was like, "Okay, fine." But we lost sixteen nil. But I think that just shows you, like, the the difference in in the standard. And I just think that there is that kind of, oh, why would I ever want to go and play for a boys' team? But I also think that that could be pushed a little bit more because I I do really feel like when you look at the successes, some people in the in the championship and WSL, they've all started playing in boys' teams. And like, I never used to be afraid of like going and playing with boys at lunchtime. But I think. I don't know. I'm not a primary school now and I'm not a secondary school now, so I don't know. But I think there was always that, especially at secondary school, like I was always seen as like one of the lads. Like I always, I, you know, I, if I played football, like, oh, look at that girl, like she's playing football. Uh, like, And I was always like kind of, yeah. And I, I, I think like in hindsight, I wish I cared less about what people think, but at that age you don't. Yeah. So I think a lot of that's still going on that kind of puts people off. But I have to say that I wish that more girls would take that opportunity or that it's driven a little bit more because I think there's definitely uh, a kind of uh, scope for that to benefit them. Mm. Um, I think more integration would be better, but I don't know how you're ever going to get that. Um, and I don't know how you're going to drive that. And again, it's almost like it's counterintuitive to what I'm saying because I'm like, I think we should be kind of on a level, but not on a level. But I do think that there's a place for that. No, I agree. Absolutely. Like, well, like you said, you just have to look at any kind of the players that are kind of in the kind of elite games. I think if you ask any of the Welsh team, for example, they all like because there was so far and few between teams. I know like Jess Fishlock, for example, like Tash Harding. 
um, they definitely started in kind of boys teams and they had to travel yeah. like an hour, an hour and a half before they kind of found, found like, um, um, like Cardiff and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely don't think that's by chance. Like, I genuinely don't. I almost want to pull out, like, it'd almost be worth doing like a little study on who had actually started, say, like WSL and Championship and who had actually started in men's teams. I bet your bottom dollar it would be a lot more people than, like, you might think. And I think that just goes to show you, like, the power of it and how important it could be and how it could be utilised a little bit better just if society was a little bit more accepting of it. Yeah. Hmm. Food for thought, that one, isn't it? <laughs> um, you've kind of weaved it into our discussion a little bit there, but let's kind of talk specifically about Borromeo then. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, just tell me, how did you kind of end up there? Like, why did you pick Borromeo? What was it about it that kind of feel like, yep, this is the team I'm going to go for? So I'll try and streamline this. It's a bit <laughs> so I thought... Um, just thought so actually um this is a funny story you'll probably appreciate this so uh, what date was it 8th of january i think 20 what, what were we in 20 was it 2020 um i uh was playing for afc wimbledon and in the warm-up i don't know if you can see obviously we're on video but no one can see but i broke my finger in the warm-up and i knew i did it and i was absolutely livid with myself i was like fuck's sake so this was a con <laughs> against Ipswich so Ipswich hadn't lost the game yet we'd lost 2-1 at their place so this is our place hadn't lost the game yet we were sitting second they were sitting first and um so it, this was like grudge match this was the game that I'd been looking forward to for ages I'd had a really good run of games before Christmas and I felt on form I was training over Christmas working hard and I was like right Charlotte if you're ever going to have the best game of your life this is going to be today so um I made a good save and just ended up stubbing my finger and, and breaking my finger um, in the warm-up. Oh. And I was, like, fuming. And I w- walked into the change room, had to tape up, and I was like, you know what, I can't do any more in the warm-up. I've just got to play on it and hope for the best. So uh, did, did we have we did have another keeper sitting on the bench. I think we had one of the under-16s sitting on the bench, and I was like, oh, you know what, this is going to be terrible. Like, I've got to just do this. I've got to man up. So I taped it, as you do, pops and pills, um, and I was like, right, okay, I'm ready. Um, and I just was like adrenaline pumping. So I was like, right, okay, I can get through this. Six minutes in, um, I make a save and my centre-back kicks me in the head. <laughs> nice, okay. <laughs> I have like a six-inch gash in my head that actually subsequently um, after the game needed stitches and A&E. But we won't <laughs> worry about that. Um, I'm the physio for the team, so I can't see the wound. So I'm like... Self-administering there. <laughs> yeah, play on. So they wrap me up like Mr Bump. And I'm sure on, on some form of social media, you can see some photos. So I'm wrapped up like Mr Bump. They're happy for me to play on. I've got no concussion signs. I'm happy for me to play on. Brilliant. <laughs> So we play on. Um, we actually won the game 2-1 and I actually probably did have one of the best games of my life with a broken finger <laughs> and needing six Love stitches that. in my head, which is great. Um, so um, coincidentally, won our team a trip to uh, Ibiza. So the chairman was like, you know what, if you win, I'll pay for you all to go, all-inclusive, five days Ibiza. So I basically took that as, well, I've won us a, 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 a you know, <laughs> Ibiza trip, fine, which was going to be in May 2020. So you can you can kind of guess what happened now. Yeah. <laughs> so I was out for a few games. Um, so I actually didn't play after that because obviously, well, I had one lot of 90 minutes before coronavirus hit. Mm. So yeah. I actually hadn't played for a while. So it was September. So I was like, you know what? I need to come and I need to play a standard football where I'm going to get on with that. I know I can play that. I know it's within my remit. So I was like, right, SWPL2, let's go. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, didn't go to Ibiza because of coronavirus. Just going to drop that in there. <laughs> yeah. Not bitter at all. So that's really <laughs> 
Um, so uh, I came here and it, it was a choice. So I actually live in Edinburgh. I live right in the centre of town, uh, pretty much sort of West End. Um, and I was training with Hamilton, which to their dues are kind of league favourites to go up. Um, but they're in Glasgow, so they're an hour away. Um, yeah. And they train three times a week. And I really, really enjoy training and I really, really liked it there. And I really like the atmosphere. One of my really good friends plays but I just thought, you know what, I'm working full time. Am I going to be able to commit? And, you know, I'm a keen, avid fan of the gym, want to do play golf, do, do my thing. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, you know what, I can't commit. Borrow Muir's five minutes around the corner from me. So I was like, you know, uh, it's the manager at the moment, Susie um, Shepherd. actually I played with at one of the clubs kind of during my time at Edinburgh Uni. I was mentioning I played for a few clubs, one of them was Spartans, and she played while I played. So I kind of knew her anyway, and I know yeah. the, the coaches because Ian McDonald, one of the other coaches, was a coach at Spartan, so he knew of me. So that kind of link made it quite easy, and I was just like, Susie, I'm back up. She was like, yeah, come along. And then um, I kind of was asked to sign. Um, and so I've been there since, so that's kind of how I got involved. Um, you know, one of the biggest clubs in Edinburgh for, for women's football, it's great. I have to say, I don't know enough about what the junior section is doing at the moment. Um, I don't have enough time to devote to kind of figuring out what's going on, and I really should devote a little bit more time. I know that people work hard across the board um, about creating opportunities. I know that there's kind of two teams of a few age groups at levels and things like that, and then we've got a kind of under-19s team that plays senior football. So actually, technically, some of us could play kind of senior football we only have the one SWPL2 team we don't have like a second team mm. of kind of um, seniors so we carry quite a big squad um, but it's 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 really good I really like the setup um, and it's a good level for me in terms of the league's pretty difficult um, and you know we're quite a young side so we've got two or three you know 15 16 year olds playing for us who have done really well this season stepped up to senior football and it's been, it's been amazing to see kind of scottish junior internationals um who have done really well and then a few kind of experienced players but actually on the whole people aren't experienced at swpl2 level um the backstory to borrow Muir coming up is actually one of i believe more of a kind of financial a bit like the the a bit like the championship mm. is more financial slash I think it got to a point where um you know they need to find a team to come up so they kind of played a few playoff games and I think Barmio ended up winning the playoff games but they were sitting about sixth in the table at that point oh, okay. so they did really well to get themselves in a position to come up to SWPL2 um and we're sitting about eighth at the moment so we had like quite a heavy defeat at the start of the season to Aberdeen um which was quite difficult but we kind of grew um and it took a little while to gel but we kind of grew and it's really annoying the way that so we actually were allowed to play whilst you guys weren't playing for a little bit but yeah. then uh, when th- when numbers got really bad they stopped it and when they stopped it we actually were in quite a good flow and we kind of come to to, to, to a few kind of good winnings and things like that so it was really kind of disappointed that they stopped it then because we were in flow um so it'll be interesting to see but actually um we're back training monday with a view i think to starting fixtures back after easter so there is an attempt for us to finish our fixtures which will be nice nice so. yeah i think that's kind of what everyone's sort of clinging on to right now like i'm definitely in that position as well because so my team currently sit top of the table and we don't know yet what's going to happen with our season like it's not been decided so i don't know it's just we're a bit gutted if we kind of end up not kind of continuing the like, season imagine if they null and void it now you'd be fuming wouldn't you like absolutely fuming do you know what it's so. funny as well because so my previous team we were bottom of the table so i've literally gone from bottom of the table my previous team to top of the table yeah I'd... you've obviously made a good decision though, <laughs> I, I can tell you now it's nothing to do with me joining the team <laughs> But um, yeah, no, just I. But equally though, I think just everybody just wants to be back, kind of playing, don't they? So yeah, 
I don't know if the kind of ele- competition element of it's kind of weird, but yeah, particularly I, bothered about it now. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't know about you, but coronavirus has been really difficult for all of us. And I think for me, football's one of my biggest outlets. So mm. I haven't had football for quite a while now. And it's been really difficult. Like, you know, I work a stressful job and coronavirus has made my job even more stressful. Yeah, of course. Um, and so to have to not have that opportunity, not have that outlet is really difficult. And, you know, I live on my own. So I live in like a one bed flat. And so, you know, part of the nice thing was that I got a bit of social contact um, yeah. at work as well. And with some people that I actually would choose to kind of spend my time with who I've not seen for a little while. So that's been difficult as well. And just having that kind of ability to kind of de-stress when you're home from work and you've had a had a bad day. It's like you kind of have to sit at the moment with your, your own thoughts and your own self, whereas you go, go to football, someone would do something to make you laugh. You know, they might fall over or someone would say something. And, you know, credit to credit you. I've not mentioned him, Kev Candy, my goalkeeping coach. You know, he's probably more of a life coach than he's a goalkeeping coach mm. sometimes. I'll come and I'll be, you know... I'll be as aggy as anything and he'll be like, what's wrong? You know, he knows what's wrong without me even telling him what's wrong. And, yeah. you know, 10 minutes we'll have a debrief. Like, let's write debrief before we even start thinking about kicking a football. And, you know, just that, that you miss as much as anything, really. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't wait to be back on Monday. It'll be really good. Mm, so. Yeah, that's great. I think that's kind of a thing about kind of kind of lower league football and stuff like that as well. Is like, this is another thing that I talked about with Carol in the last episode as well. The kind of the kind of social element of it is as much the kind of important part of it is as kind of being on the pitch for that 90 minutes. And do you know what, if anything, I would argue that it's possibly even more so than that kind of 90 minutes that you have on the pitch, that kind of the social side of it. Yeah, and it's still big. I think no matter what level, it's still big. Like we Mm. have um, kind of weekly Zoom. So we've been doing a little bit of yoga, a little bit of circuits um, just to kind of keep us all together. And then we set up a kind of social Zoom. So we just came on for a little drink the other day Mm. just to hello um but it's really difficult um unfortunately the rules at the moment are that people can't travel through so we can only have city of edinburgh members at training so it's kind of negates five or six people to be able to come and train because they live out with the county um so that can be quite difficult as well because you've got five or six girls that can't come to training just because of the rules at the moment which is difficult and like everybody just wants to see everybody and things like that so you know i do hope that and I hope that everyone gets the opportunity because I do think for everybody, it's just that kind of social element. And I think mm. we're all missing that social element at the moment. And I think, you know, there is this, you know, I'm not afraid to talk about it. There is this mental health element that I think, you know, it's okay with admitting that we're all not really okay. Yeah. I, I said this to one of my colleagues the other day. I think at the moment it's like, we're we're all not okay. And if anybody says they're okay, f- you know, fair enough. But I think at the moment it's almost, I liken it as who's got the biggest facade. Like who can, who can play, who can play the, the game and say that they're okay? Yeah. Because, you know, we're all not okay. We all need that social side. We all need to see people. You know, I don't know about you, but I miss hugging people. Like, I'm such yeah. a massive hugger. Like, I don't even know what it's like to hug people anymore. I'm like, oh, <laughs> just want to hug people. So Do you just know what? That- yeah, do you know what's funny as well? It's, it's, I, I notice it as well, especially like if I'm watching something on TV and I see people a bit close to each other. I'm like, hang on a second, and then I have to remind myself this is like this is like a ten year old film. Like, what are you want yeah. about? Like, just, we're just so conditioned into it now. It's crazy, isn't it? So yeah, the idea that we kind of might go back to some normality is kind of a little bit. Kind I think of... I literally put on my social media like I think I took a photo of a face mask today, and I was like, maybe these will be a thing of the past. Like, <laughs> uh, so I'm literally because I've got to be in one all day, every pretty much yeah, all day. Yeah, of course. Every- um for work and things and I think it's nice because because I'm a physio I get I know it sounds like this is going to sound really sad but I get to be close to people therapeutically so I get to like Mm. 
be physical with people and you know I do have to like hold patients hands occasionally and kind of muddy cuddle them and just say like you're okay you're doing really well kind of thing so I get that intimacy from that but I think like it's just like some of my friends like I just want to give them a cuddle just want to you know say they're okay and you know I was under the impression I'd see loads of my friends coming up here and everyone wants to come to Edinburgh because it's like cool city and things like that and I just haven't been able to see them so and I think football's like a massive part of our social kind of life and you know what it's always that thing of you don't know how much you've got until it's gone yeah so you've you've taken it for granted and I think I I said to one of my friends I was like do you think that it's going to make people appreciate what they have a little bit more this whole kind of year of not having much I, I'd like to think that it will I mean maybe it won't maybe it won't and I, I don't know whether I'm, I'm being too nice but I'd like to think that it will and I'd like to think that even more now so will appreciate like the social element will appreciate being being with people and mm. you know that first session back when you catch up with people is going to be great you know there is going to be football you know sprayed about everywhere but there's also going to be like oh how are you how's this gone how's work how's things you know so that'll be a good moment as well and I hopefully in a weird way we spent so long apart that maybe it will bring us closer together yeah no absolutely I agree 100 percent I think that's a good grassroots mentality to have as well because obviously the whole point of grassroots football it's not necessarily that competition you're there for 90 minutes like I don't think that should be the person point the person point is that like you say, you've got that element of balance where like, yeah, fine, you're all there for a common goal and that's to play football and that's to play 90 minutes. But I also feel like you are there for like a social aspect and a social element and like for to be able to kind of take take the time to like get to know people, to learn about people and to kind of for people to kind of help you up when you need help and then you to be there for other people. Like it's just a, a support network, isn't it? Like yeah. football is a support network. And when you have an aspect of your support network that isn't there, it's really difficult, let alone almost every single support network that you haven't like you haven't been able to have for a year yeah no that's absolutely spot on yeah couldn't agree more um so kind of keeping on the theme of Barrymore what do you feel like you're kind of well, I guess you haven't been there that long and it's kind of been delayed with corona and stuff like that but do you <laughs> yeah. feel like you have a kind of standout moment at the club um standout moment oh what kind of think about a few big saves that I've made uh, there's a few I can think about. Um, we kind of had a few good wins. I don't know. Like I kind of said to myself, this was like a personal journey this year. Yeah. Uh, like I was aware of the circumstances, and obviously I don't want to say anything to disrespect my teammates because I love them dearly. But I was kind of aware of the circumstances. Like I was like, I could sign for Hamilton, who are league favourites, who potentially might kind of be you know, favourites and I won't have to do much kind of thing. That was kind of my thinking as well. Or I could sign for Byron Muir where I know that I'm going to be tested and I know that I'm going to um, be kind of needed. And I think, like, although you look at the results, like, we've not won a huge amount of games. I think, like, personally, I've grown. And I wouldn't say, like, my, my favourite moments of this season probably aren't to do with me, actually. Yeah. They're probably with seeing some of the people um, kind of go from not quite making the cut almost to actually stepping up. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been nice to see other people. And also I feel like because of my experience and my age, I've been helpful to other people. So yeah. other people come to me and ask me questions, you know, they'll talk to me, they'll speak to me. You know, you mentioned that, like we mentioned about that kind of social network. Like I feel like I've been that, that kind of person for a few players. Mm. And I think more, for me, that's more important than the actual playing aspect. So I guess we have really spanned it like that. And now that I reflect on it, I guess I have brought out the kind of feeling like actually socially it's really important to have that aspect and that element. And I feel like I've been that for a few people. And I feel like that's probably my moment rather than anything that I've done on the pitch. Obviously, that's a plus 
but I feel like, yeah, that's probably got to be it. Just seeing, you know, there's a few of the young girls that, you know, one or two of them, I'm not going to name drop them and, and, and stand them out, but one or two of them that have been, you know, great and, and standouts and, and, you know, are holding their own at 16 in, in this league and, you know, only going to look to probably, you know, I think one or two of them you'll see in SWPR1 next season. So, um, and I think that's more where it's at than anything that I've done. Mm. Interesting. Um, kind of equally, biggest challenge do you feel like you've had to um, deal with? Challenge? Oh, there's always challenges in my life. <laughs> um, I think it is just balancing working a full-time job and playing football and, you know, training half past eight till ten when you're in the gym at half past six. You're working a full day, you're coming home and you've had a crappy day at work and you could really just sit on the sofa and not go out to training. And I think credit to the coaching team and, and some of the girls really who pull you out of that, that misery and, you, you know, you know you, you've got to go because you're going to feel better at ten o'clock. Um, and I think also just trying to fit in has been like a challenge in a way. Just what you don't want to do is come in, especially to a new team, disrupt the dynamic. Yeah. Um, and kind of I'm I'm one of these people like I'm very opinionated in terms of I like to share my opinion, but only I, I only want to share for the benefit of people. And I always mm. worry that I either say too much and, and I don't, you know, I, I, I always worry that I get the, the level right, if that makes sense. Yeah. So coming into like a new team and, and, and coming into that kind of setup has been a challenge as well, just because I don't want to upset people. Um, and also, I think like it's difficult as well because we're such a young team. I think trying to kind of understand that sometimes things aren't going to go my way so like you know we have lost a few games and it's not necessarily been you know it's not necessarily been things that I could control mm. so it's about focusing like the locus of control onto something that you can control if that makes sense like all I can tr- control is my effort and my performance for 90 minutes I can't control what goes on with other people and, and other things so I think it's been about that kind of focus and, and, and changing that to kind of thinking about you know what like just focus on you and don't focus on anything else because otherwise that's going to lead to to frustration <laughs> so I think I think if you don't ask Kev the goal the goalkeeping coach how frustrated I was at the start of the season compared to how frustrated I am now it would be like a world of difference um, <laughs> I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges as well yeah absolutely interesting um what do you feel like the future looks like for for you, for your team, for the club in general? I think the club's only going to go from strength to strength, strength to strength. I think, um, you know, it's it's always looking to grow. It's always looking to do cool things. Um, and I know that um, there's a, a few of the younger girls coming through a, a brilliant in class. And I hope that, you know, like we say, that kind of crossover, you're starting to get a, a bit more step up. So, you know, we've got three or four girls coming from the 19s through. Um, you're probably going to see a few more come. Um, and I think they'll start to push people. Um, and I think it will drive the first team really well. And, you know, I hope that, you know, even the under 10s are aspiring to to kind of be in that position. Um, so I think the difficulties with Borough Mule, because they're such a, a kind of community-associated club, actually they struggle to retain players to bigger clubs. So when people come and, you know, the likes of Hearts come and, and, and ask for players and, you know, named badges come and ask for players, mm. there's always that moment where you think that they might move or that might happen. So I think their challenge is to kind of retain people and try and keep them through the system rather than lose them to bigger clubs. And I think that's something that... We, we haven't really talked about that's quite that I'm quite uh, you know that does happen you know you get kind of standout players that are asked to go to bigger clubs and it's like are you better to be a big fish in a small pond or a, a small fish in a big pond mm. and it's like mm. you, you you know you, you're not we're not quite sure it's like a, that story where you, you're best always coming second because if you come first all the time you never learn 
to accept kind of defeat and failure. Um, so it's that thing of like, actually, some people will go because, you know, that's, that's where they want to go. And they're, you know, at, at 14, all you want to do is play for hearts and play for hips, but then they'll go and then they'll not play. And then that's when they lose interest because they go to a bigger team, they don't play, and then they're like, well, I don't enjoy it anymore and things like that. So I think keeping players will be good for Borough Muir and, and, and keeping them through the system. I know there's a few come up. One, The other goalkeeper, Katie Moody, I'll name her. Um, she's really class, by the way. I, I love her to bits. And it's been difficult because obviously she's not played much. I've played most of the league games and she's continuously been there. Um, so I think she has to have some credit as well. And she's not played, but she's been a pivotal part of like the goalkeeping kind of community. Um, and she does a lot of work with the junior section as well. Um, so I think um, keeping players like her as well is important because they drive kind of the junior section and, and they have that kind of connection between the two. Um, and in terms of like our team... In, in terms of where we're going to go, I really want us to stay in SWPL too. I think we need to cement um, kind of uh, who we have in the team. I think there'll be a bit of kind of chopping and changing and people coming in, people coming out for various reasons, commitment, things like that. Um, and I think over the next few years, hopefully establish, you know, pe- there's themselves in SWPL too and then hopefully you know push for for coming in that top position top two positions to get to get promotion because really you're all striving for one common goal which is to play the highest level of football possible so you know I'm sure the chairman and everybody involved would love to see everybody in SWPL1 um I, I you know I I have to be honest and just think you know it's not going to happen overnight it's, it's not going to happen this season you know, it's not going to happen potentially next season. But I think over a period of time, as you start to kind of filtrate in, like we said, all the juniors that are a class and have had plenty of practice hours, that that's when you might start to see that kind of transition. So I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see over the next few years what happens. Mm, yeah, really interesting. So kind of kind of more broadly speaking, you kind of mentioned it slightly there as well. The kind of thing that I want to touch on is where you said kind of you see more of the kind of young people like kind of making that step up. Do you think that is uh kind of across the whole of kind of women's football i guess kind of you can think about this worldwide in fact yeah, i suppose do you I, think that's uh, a good thing that we're kind of we're seeing that kind of where people maybe want to go to professional places possibly definitely and i think i think for me there's a right time to do it as well and i think you have to get the time right as well and i think that the time is ability and it's also like it's also mentality and I think we haven't really touched on it, but psychology is a big part of the game. And I think that kind of attitude that, you know, you have to have, I was thinking about this the other day, you have to have that attitude that you're better than most people to play in, in the top game. And I think that's one thing that's probably let me down. I just don't, I've never thought that I'm, you know, I'm always just like, oh, you know what, I'm all right. Like, I'm not, not the best, I'm not the worst, but you know, I'm all right. And I've never had that kind of belief that I'm actually pretty good and I'm better than other people. You know, I there's a few people I can pick out, you know, I dare to mention her, Eartha Cummings, who plays at Charlton. Mm. She just, she's just had this attitude where she's just like, I know I'm good, fine. And like, I mean that in the best will in the world because she's an absolute class goalkeeper and I think she's amazing. She's such a great girl. Um, she's come back from a lot. So she, she had, she, you know, her story is available. So I'm sure she won't mind me kind of mentioning it, but she had compartment syndrome in both her legs. So she's got incisions down her legs um, that basically they had to kind of drain fluid and, and, and to, to basically stop her losing her legs. And she's now playing championship football. Like, you can't ask for a better story than that, purely yeah. because and it's her mentality that's got her there. Um, so I think if there's one thing, like, it is that opportunity to kind of step up. But I think if I could draw on my experience a little bit, it'd be it'll be nurturing those players. So it'd be having, like, that person that they feel they can go and talk to, um, that they feel that they're respected, that they know that 
it's okay to make mistakes that they know that it's not going to be you know an easy transition I think having that person or having that people and being able to come and speak to people is really important and I do think that's what we've got going on well at Borough Muir like some of the junior players will come and talk to us will come and talk to the experienced players we'll ask questions we'll want to know like why they're not playing how they can like improve what they can do to kind of get themselves playing and stuff which I think is like a really important aspect of it I think it's it's not just about technical ability. It's about, like, do you have the mentality? And I know, um, you know, I won't tell you who it is, but one of the girls at Sion, I kind of said to her, hey, why are you not playing uh, in, uh, in, in England? Because, you know, the Northern Irish League, um, I don't know how much you know about it, but it's quite segregated. So you have people kind of, kind of national prem standard all the way down to your grassroots within the, the, the premiership. So it's, it's, it's difficult in that aspect. And I mm. kind of said to her, hey, why are you not playing in England? Like, you're, you're way too good. And she was like, oh, you know what? I just get homesick. Mm. And I, I'm like, it, you know what? I, I totally get that. But you know what? You're only a, an hour flight away. So, you know, if, if you struggle, you can just come back. And lo and behold, I see, I think it was probably about three months after I come back <laughs> from Cyan. Um, she, she's come over. And actually, she's, uh, I mean, you, you probably by deduction be able to work out, but actually she's at City at, the, at Glasgow City at the moment, so she's not too far away from where I live. But, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I had credit for anything she did. <laughs> probably didn't. I'd take um, it, but, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it just goes to show, um, I think people, yeah, need to have the right opportunity. And I think this is where also, um, so I know and I've noticed Twitter and social media and, and players signing um, with agencies, this is where I think they are going to be pivotal in giving players opportunities. So more people are establishing themselves as playing and, you know, more people are getting opportunities in Europe, which I think will help develop them because they go away. They're not with their family. They've got to go away. They learn a few life skills, but they're also playing. They're playing in a different environment. And you know what? That can be scary. Like Iceland, like when I was in Iceland, I couldn't tell you how to speak any word of Icelandic. They also... <laughs> English, which was great, but I, you know, I'm one of these people. I'll try, but I can't, couldn't even tell you. But it was just more the experience and like being able to kind of fend for myself and realizing, like, yeah, you know, I'm playing football, but I'm also learning about life as well and, and growing as a person. So I think it's like having that opportunity and being able to be kind of muddy cuddled, but also being able to like fend for themselves and knowing that actually, like, you're playing senior football. I think if there's one thing that I don't like as much I think it's like being involved with senior football but still having parental involvement Mm. with managers and and things like that I'm like I I do understand if the player is kind of underage and there's things in in terms of age but I feel like when you make that step it's like you've taken that that opportunity so it's like you have to find your way a little bit and I think that that's when parents need to take a step back and just say you know what my daughter's playing senior football like you know that's when I think it needs to be sorted out. And I don't, I don't, I don't have the answer for that. I, I wish I, I don't, don't have the answer for that. But I think there is, you know, I, there's a few incidences where over the years I've seen kind of parents get involved with senior football and managers at senior football. And I, I just, I don't know how much time I've got for that. Mm, yeah. I don't have the answer. I think that's probably just one, like many of the kind of areas we've discussed in terms of kind of girls and women's football, where we're still a little bit kind of behind the men's game in that kind of aspect, I guess. So, yeah, it's just like you said, it's kind of a time for growth and kind of the way we're going to kind of see the kind of trajectory of kind of women and girls football in the next few years. is going to be an interesting one to watch. Definitely, definitely. 100%. Okay, I'm going to finish with some quick fire questions. So this is the part where you can bait your teammates out a little bit, but you can also veto if you think, no, I'm not answering this one. 
Okay, um, start with duh, 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 who is the biggest joker? I'd say <laughs> it's actually really difficult because we've all got our own like sense of humour. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, probably dibs. Dibs. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna go for Dibsy, cool. but I think that's probably my personal. But she just makes me laugh. <laughs> got this, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, who's the most competitive? I'm gonna go for Wee Brogan Anderson. Cool. She's she's rogue competitive. <laughs> uh, who's turning up at the wrong venue or forgetting their kit? Oh, someone turned up. Kim Goodchild. Kim Goodchild. <laughs> Definitely doing both. <laughs> uh, who's always late? Fee. <laughs> I like that you didn't late. have to think about two always of these questions. Late. Right back, always late. <laughs> um, who waits till match day to turn on the heat? So like they're kind of a bit chill in training, yeah. like they don't do too much, and then match day comes and they're just absolutely smashing it out of the park. I'd say. I'd say Al, Captain Al. She she does work hard, but like you don't see her. I think you don't see her tenacity because she doesn't want to hurt people, like hurt, hurt her own teammates. And she'll come and she'll just absolutely smash a tackle in. And I'm like, hold on a minute, where's this come from? <laughs> I love that. Uh, who's scoring your winning goal? Oh, uh, I think Beth McLeod. Beth McLeod scoring the winning goal. Uh, left wing. Um, she's a bit of a like everywhere type girl, but I set her up actually. I'm going to take credit for that on one of the one of the games. Um, we actually won against Partick Thistle, so they were I think sitting second in the league, and we won two one, two one or two nil. I want to say it's two nil. It's been so long, um, <laughs> and uh, she she scored a goal off off a off an overhead kick, uh, not an overhead kick. I'm not doing acrobatics. <laughs> off, a, off a kick out my hands um, of mine. So yeah, that was a pretty good goal. But yeah, I think it's her. Nice. Uh, equally, who's missing it? Oh. This is the question that's been vetoed a couple oh. of times. To be fair, <laughs> oh, who's, who is missing it? Who are we going to put in front of front of goal? Who's missing it, and who wouldn't? Who wouldn't kill me? <laughs> I don't want to veto this. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> I also don't want to think it's political. But um, who's Mister Sitter? I'm going to say Dibs. She'll hate me, but I'm going to say Dibs. <laughs> Just maybe like one sitter, so it's got to be her. She'll hate me, but yeah. <laughs> love that. Okay, and then final one, a positive one, Jen. Who is the team's biggest hype woman or man? Hype woman or man? Yeah, I mean, there might be one of the coaching staff that's like yeah, gets everyone uh, going yeah, proper. It has to go to my golfing coach, actually, Kev Candy. Nice. Oh, he comes out with some glorious features. Um, <laughs> he knows when to turn, he knows when to, I think he knows when to like hit us emotionally with a bit of like a tough love. And but he also knows when to kind of nurture it, so mm. credit for that. Um, so full respect for that. Nice, love that. Cool, quick fire questions done, and you didn't veto. I'm impressed. Yeah, no, I was like, okay, don't veto. <laughs> love it. Is there anything else you want to add before we kind of um, wrap this one up? No, I just want to say like thanks for the opportunity, and I hope that more people get an opportunity to kind of express how they feel in terms of like the women's game because I don't think we do like I don't think there's enough of this. Mm. Um, I don't think there's enough like platform for for people to express how they feel. So I hope that like doing this and also in the future people can create a bigger platform to like talk about it and express their views and kind of figure out how we might kind of go about changing women's football. And I think like one of the things for me is like. Uh, 
I don't know if, you know, me personally, we kind of know where I see Bayern Mule, but like personally, I don't think I'm ever going to get, like, I, I've played probably the best standard football I'm ever going to play, and I, I understand that. But what I do want to do is make sure that when I'm older, I, I people do have an opportunity to play and, and as best as opportunity as they can. So I hope I can stay in the game and, like, drive at least be a little bit. You know, I, I'm probably not going to make a huge difference to me personally, but I hope that I can stay in the game and drive change and be that, that you know, that small percentage that, that can drive a kind of upward um, kind of direction of women's football. And I think, you know, we are looking at, in. I, I don't, I don't want to, put a number on it but I think we are looking in you know five ten years time that people will be able to make a good living from it and, and get a huge opportunity and be able to kind of make the most of things and I think I, I do think that I am a massive fan and I don't know whether it's just because I've done it but I do think that European football could be utilized a little bit more to create opportunity for these kind of younger people and I do want to say if anybody does have an opportunity that it, it, they should take it yeah because it being one of the best things I've ever done not just for a footballing sense, but also personal development, which I think is really just as important mm. um, as football. Like we've mentioned, because, you know, if you get an injury or you end up out of the game for any reason, you've still got that kind of life experience, that personal experience that t- to go on. And you meet loads of cool people and you network. Like, I could go back to Iceland in a heartbeat, stay with people, and, 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 and that would be great. And I also technically, you know, probably not for the football but I, I could go back to Northern Ireland, I hope, and, and you know, see people. And, you know, it's, it's actually a country I've, I found. It was really beautiful. Um, I just didn't really get enough time to, to be there and experience it in enough of its beauty. But, you know, I got to do a little bit of travelling and got to play a few golf courses and it was really nice. And I'd go back there in a heartbeat um, and I would go back to Iceland. So, I, you know, I, all I can say is just take that opportunity, take that plunge, take the risk, because actually I think the, worth, the, the, the risk would be way worth it amazing i feel like that's such a kind of good point for us to finish on there so thank you so much for joining me no problem thank you and thank you to you the listener for tuning in to episode four of the latest series in the selk podcast production expect to hear many more interviews from those involved in the women's grassroots game as well as news history and everything else in between and remember it's okay not to be okay. So if you ever want to reach out, I'm always happy to chat football or anything else for that matter. Feel free to get in touch with me on social media. Stay safe out there, wear a mask, wash your hands, follow the guidelines and catch you all soon for episode five. I've been your host, Abby, and you've been listening to Match Fix. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.